to say, getting to your apartment was really tough. I, had to, I tripped over all those crates of rifles and pistols you got hanging out right by your door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 393 million guns, man. Where are we going to put them? In this one apartment. Yeah. Armed to the teeth, nowhere to go. I guess before we start, we should really offer a... Uh, Meaningless platitudes, Meaningless platitudes and condolences to the victims of all the mass shootings. Every single one of them. And our thoughts and prayers, our, our TNPs, are with everyone. Amen. And today on the Radius of Reason, <laughs> no, we, we've got a serious topic today. Uh, it's mass shootings. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about why we think they occur, what we can do about it, uh, and just have a, uh, hopefully a, a nuanced but uh, open discussion. And of course, th this episode comes uh, la after last month's uh, exceptionally violent events in Buffalo, New York, and in Uvalde, Texas. Um, Collectively, over 30 individuals lost their lives in these events. And of course, it's also important to emphasize that every day there's some form of shooting in the United States. Suicides, crimes of passion, um, gang violence. So this is an issue that, unfortunately, is pretty common now. And it almost feels like we've become a bit desensitized. Every week, there seems to be a headline involving some sort of sh shooting, mass shooting event. You know, somebody getting gunned down on the street on the way to the grocery store. And we figured it was probably a good time just to talk about why we think this is happening, what it means for our country, maybe some of the implications of the various pieces of legislation that are being thrown around to, to combat this. Yeah, yeah. So, so now to piggyback on some of that. So far this year, over 250 mass shootings in America. Now, I do want to kind of add a little caveat here. Um, when we talk about mass shootings, that's commonly defined as an incident in which four or more people, including the perpetrator, are injured by gunfire. But then there's this other definition that the FBI uses for active shooters, and it goes... An individual actively engaged in killing or intending to kill people in confined space or other populated area. I think typically when we think about mass shootings, we are thinking about the more egregious kind of aimless shooting and, and, and pursuit of like creating as much damage as possible. And I think we tend to think uh, more along the lines of what we consider active shooters or what the FBI considers active shooters as opposed to the more general term mass shooting which could encompass gang violence mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken right uh so just a, a little caveat there um now either way you know whether you talk about mass shootings or active shooter situations i think we're going to continue to refer to just mass shootings in general on, on the podcast but historically speaking when you look at either either case i mean the rates are going through the roof um it, it almost, I mean, would I be incorrect to say it's almost like an exponential increase since, uh, I mean, especially since Columbine. And I think that's kind of, there was obviously a lot of mass shooting events before Columbine. I think Austin, Texas on the university campus out there is one that comes to mind. But there is something very symbolic about Columbine because it really might introduce the sort of new era of how mass shootings have almost become emblematic of quite frankly, American culture. Well, also the media's sensa sensationalization of it. Right. I mean, uh, the, the perpetrators have almost become iconic. And I, I actually had this thought the other day when reading about mass shooting events in, in places like Russia, where a lot of the perpetrators in Russia actually wear clothing kind of in honor of the two perps um, for the Columbine mass shooting. So this T-shirt that I think either Eric or Dylan wore, I, I don't remember which one of them, um, it had like some, oh my gosh, yeah, I got to look it up now. You can talk while, while, while I'm doing this. No, I like the sound of the keyboard, it's, actually. It's, it's ASMR. Yeah, so um, one of the shooters wore a, uh, a T-shirt that said natural selection on it, basically. <laughs> and, um, wow. 
so when there was a shooting in Russia a couple years back, the shooter actually wore a t-shirt with the same slogan on it. So it is kind of almost this pseudo pop culture that's emerged out of this. And it's certainly played a role in how we perceive and consume the sorts of information in the States because ever since Columbine, it seems that every year there's at least one of these massive events that happen. Don't we have enough reasons to hate Russians at the moment? You're giving us a few more. Well, you know what? My self-loathing <laughs> is probably genetically ingrained, but there's no need to hate Russians. But sticking with like the international scene here, sure. um, how do the mass shootings in the U.S. compare to what you've read uh, about overseas yeah. incidents? Well, I mean, certainly a couple of high-profile um, event- events do pop up. I think first and foremost, um, there was the the shooting in Norway uh, when... Brevik, I think was was his name, uh, in 2011, uh, shot up a, uh, it was like a political summer camp for, mm-hmm. for like party youth, for like one of the left parties in Norway. And that I think is probably in Norway interpreted more on like the scale of a 9-11, right? This is more of a terrorist attack than something that we kind of might reduce to like a mass shooting here. Um, certainly that's not the only country. You also have the very high profile incidents in New Zealand a few years back with the shootings at the mosques, but also countries like Switzerland, which, you know, when you're looking at rates of gun ownership is pretty comparable to the U.S. where gun ownership is seen as like a mass, almost cultural thing there, maybe even a social thing, um, given how much they like going to shooting ranges and how it plays into like Swiss identity. But there was a major mass shooting they had in 2011. I think 14 people died. There was a shooter in a parliament there, took his own life afterwards as well. So it kind of had the quote unquote, like, symbols and zeitgeists maybe that um american shootings have but after 2011 2001 excuse me they haven't really had many of these mass shooting events take place despite high rates of gun ownership interesting now what about the gun laws right when we talk about why it's happening is there a difference in the gun laws uh you know when we talk about the laws in the u.s versus say in uh, switzerland well, there, there is definitely higher rates of scrutiny. In, in Switzerland, licensing authorities to, to have a permit to own a firearm happens at the cantonal level, so almost at the state level. And the police departments that are responsible for issuing these licenses are actually very stringent in picking who gets a license versus not. And quite frequently, there's actually consultation with um, like a psychologist or a psychoanalyst that's required before getting access to a permit to own a firearm. Switzerland also has mandatory military service for men. And you go through your your conscription period, you do your military training, and then there is an encouragement by the Swiss military to actually take your weapon home with you, where you have your gun at home in case Switzerland gets invaded. You know, you never know the Italians or the French might roll over the border. Sure. But the ammunition itself is actually not stored at home. But, but yeah, I guess it's sounding more like an apples to orange, oranges comparison. Um, maybe let's, let's, let's just go back to the U S and let's focus a little bit on, on the gun laws. I mean, would it be fair to say that they're clearly too loose at the moment? I think that they're loose in a sense of, well, I mean, to take a few steps back, clearly something isn't working here, right? Uh, Based off of this New York times article, you and I were reading uh, before the show it seems that, yes, a lot of the mass shootings happen, first of all, using types of weapons that perhaps might be heavy, he- more he- heavily regulated, excuse me, in other countries, right? Assault rifles, AR-15 type uh, weapons. Um, oftentimes, these shootings are performed by individuals who may have stolen a weapon. So the Sandy Hook shooting, um, the perpetrator, Adam Lanza, actually stole a a rifle that was legally owned by his mother who he ended up killing with that rifle too. So maybe there is some lax protocols around storage requirements and things along those lines. But also there is, I think, a pretty unsettling element that you pointed out to me earlier that a lot of these individuals that perform these sorts of acts of treachery in the U.S. have expressed openly either the desire to hurt themselves or to kill others before doing these Yeah, I think the stat is 46% uh, of the shooters expressed the interest or intent to harm. Right. Which, 
you know, if you're asking me, if there, is there a gap in our legal structure around this? Well, clearly there is something going on where we're not able to catch these sorts of individuals in some sort of psychological profile before issuing them a permit to buy their weapon. But most recently in the Uvalde shootings, the kid was still a kid. He was like 18 years old. Yeah, legally an adult, but he was also able to access a weapon at that point. I guess the ultimate question is some of the laws that are being floated right now um, as a consequence of the of these shootings last month are saying that, oh, we should increase the, the gun ownership age till 21. Do you think it's going to make a difference if somebody's eight, 21 years old versus 18? Well, you know, according to that New York Times uh, article, I think only four of the incidents would have been impacted right. uh, by, by such a law. Uh, I mean, to kind of expand on that, though, I, I would personally probably go for a minimum age of 25. And that's that's more so because I think your your brain's not developed until you're about 25. So for me, you know, given kind of the the level of responsibility right. involved, it's a yeah, no pun intended. It's a no brainer. To, to, to make it at least 25, even if, you know, statistically, if you look at the, the history of mass shootings, that's not necessarily like the biggest cutoff, although it, it would have some impact. Um, I, I did look at some data that showed maybe a, at least a third where, where um, a third of incidents were, were kind of performed by by individuals uh, younger than 25. But maybe less from like a, a scientific standpoint. Do you think it's going to make that big of a difference for somebody who maybe is thinking about committing a mass shooting at 18 to wait seven, eight years to, to put the plan to action? I mean, do you think some, there's going to be some course correction in somebody's life between 18 and 25 that would prevent them from doing something like this if they're fantasizing about it? Well, I mean, it, it, could, buy, it could buy enough time. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. Uh, and, and, and any barrier you add, I mean... To me, that's a that's a good thing. That's a positive uh, mm -hmm. because psychologically speaking, like humans are pretty, they tend to be lazy in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so the more obstacles you can put in front of them, the less likely they are going to follow through <laughs> right. with, with, with a certain kind of goal. Like starting the Twitter account for, for this podcast. Yeah, we're, we're not going to talk about we're that. We're not going to talk. I'll save you the embarrassment. Yeah. It took all of like 10 <laughs> minutes to do anyways. Interesting. It looks like shit, by the way. Well, that's the aesthetic we're going for. We sound like shit. We got to look <laughs> like shit. Uh, yeah. So, well, anyhow, uh, back to back to this. Uh, mental health, I guess, was the next uh, point that we and, wanted to address. And this is another point that I think you inadvertently brought up in your response to my last question. Question: Where, if anything changes between eighteen and twenty-five, ideally, you'd have some system of care in place that would provide somebody the therapeutic evaluation and treatment they need in that time frame. If at 18 you're something's going on in your life that you are thinking about committing this sort of crime, this atrocity, but if between 18 and 25 there's no access to healthcare, mental health care for you, I mean, really, yeah, would that so, course correction happen? Yeah, no, that's definitely a problem. And then there's also kind of the general like cultural stigma against you know, uh, receiving mental health support. Yeah. And I think, thankfully, this is changing with our generation. Um, every, you know, I think people are a lot more open nowadays about discussing mental health struggles or encouraging one another to go to therapy. That stigma isn't really there as it has been in the past, maybe, um, especially given kind of the historical traumas of delivering mental health care. You know, I'm thinking about like Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when he got like fucking lobotomized for being a little bit you know overactive but um i i i my my opinion is that mental health care is a huge underlying problem in this country which contributes greatly to why these things are happening and i think very i mean very there probably isn't going to be any one of these perpetrators of mass shooting events that was totally chill and then decided to go and you know, killed 30 people and whatnot. Um, and the fact that we weren't able to identify these sorts of issues. And with many of them, again, for instance, the Sandy Hook shooting, we knew that Adam Lanza, the shooter, had a history of 
I mean, it wasn't just struggles with mental health. It was also, you know, diagnosed like sensory disorders. And, and you know, I think he was also dealing with a level of um, autism. But it, all of these things made it very difficult for him, which is documented. There's a great New Yorker piece on mm-hmm. this. Um, it, it made him very difficult to fit into the public school system and to maintain stable groups of friends. So he was basically alienated living by himself, living with his mother, locked inside a room with unlimited access to the internet that kind of fed into a lot of his anger and delusions that contributed to him killing 20 plus kids at an elementary school. And the question is like, if this was an individual who was receiving a level of treatment already, but still managed to slip through the cracks, so to speak, I mean, what does that say about our greater healthcare system in this country? Well, I mean, that could be a podcast on its own. Yeah. Uh, Just discussing the issues with uh, psychotherapy in general. Mm -hmm. But yeah, more generally, I I guess the field of psychology. I mean, we we can we can definitely spend quite some time on that. Um, uh, Another point, gender uh, being kind of an issue where the, the vast majority of these incidents are perpetuated by men. Um, what do you have to say about that? I mean, um, <laughs> there's nothing to say about it. Kind of no, I, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. Maybe we can discuss, um, you know what? Actually, no, let, let, let's, let's dive let's into it on this. Men. So th- th- there's a statistic that, um, uh, I'll reference the study later in case anyone's interested. Email me if you're interested. There are two followers in Moscow. Are, are, they're yeah. just perked up. But so, so I just want to read a quote here. So 30 years ago, a majority of men, 55%, reported having at least six close friends. Today, that number has been cut in half. Slightly more than one in four, 27%, men have six or more close friends today. 15% of men have no close relationships at all, a fivefold increase since 1990. So when we're talking about why, why we have so many disenfranchised, alienated young men, I mean, why, why would you say that is? What, what is going on in America in particular that leads to this situation for, for young men, this kind of isolation? I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, and, and to be frank, everything I could think of isn't limited exclusively to one gender. I mean, everything from increased socioeconomic pressures, increased burdens for like education, debt, all these kinds of things that you would kind of attribute towards somebody's, the, dis- the disintegration of somebody's mental well-being is shared by both genders. And any but is there something there? inherent to males biologically that might exacerbate kind of these environmental forces? Well, this is where I turn the microphone to our resident tribal expert. Yeah, yeah, damn. I was not expecting this. No, uh, I, yeah, it's tough to say. I, I, I think, you know, I, I can't really think of anything in particular from an evolutionary standpoint of why men would suffer more from this. Uh, it might be that both genders are actually suffering. It's just kind of um, it plays out differently in males than females. Right. So maybe it's the wrong question to ask. But in terms of the causes of kind of this isolation and, and kind of this... Uh, I would say kind of almost a a degradation of community life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it is tied to the capitalistic system in the U S I think, I think it promotes individualism. I think also social media uh, and the internet have kind of. Yeah. That's a really interesting point about social media and internet that you make because Columbine happened in 1999. So that was right at like, the launching point from when it really stepped into this age of the internet. Right. And what has changed society the most since then? Mm-hmm. Well, that's maybe, maybe that's your answer, right? Right. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if we did see an ex- exponential uptick in these sorts of mass shooting events, 
after Columbine. I mean, there is the direct parallel to the launch and kind of mass adoption of internet and then mobile internet, um, which again, I actually, I, I heard a really interesting statistic the other day that kids are spending less time outdoors nowadays than convicted prisoners. But convicted <laughs> prisoners have whatever mandatory exercise time they have to go and like walk around the prison yard or something. And kids don't really have that anymore. Especially if you think about during the pandemic where, I mean, some families I think did spend a lot of times outdoors, you know, having picnics and whatever, but a lot of people just locked up indoors. So whatever experience you'd have going outside as part of your school day was now gone. So I think that might have something to do with it as well, to be honest, where you're kind of, you're talking about the more recent uptick though in, I because I, yeah I mean that's yeah I w- I would be kind of reluctant to attribute too much to that because that was kind of almost a government mandated situation right so nothing pan- specific to the pandemic but I'm saying is in general with kind of the parallel evolution of the internet we're probably spending less time outdoors less time with Agreed. friends in person yeah I mean even when I was growing up um, I definitely spent a substantial amount of time during the summer for instance on the computer and I'd be talking to my friends. We played games together. It, it, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. It is hard to sometimes estimate though, whether that is due to you just growing up and like, that's just <laughs> life as you get older, or if it's actually tied to like a cultural shift that has occurred, mm-hmm. right? Like it's hard to maybe parse that. Although to some degree, it seems difficult to believe it's not, you know, related to, to the kind of the uh, the internet. I think I just media. attributed gun violence not going outside. <laughs> no, I, I think that's actually entirely plausible. No, I really do. I was half expecting you to go on a rant about how we're no longer like out hunting our game and like we're no longer, you know, faced with the existential threat of a bear attacking us and our tribe relying on us. So that we're Well, sort of- I mean, it, 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 if, if you want to talk about evolutionary explanations i mean if you want like that natural selection oh god (laughs) no no i mean i think in nature there 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 is some natural i mean there is some natural filtering that occurs and people that you know might have mental health issues might um maybe they're kicked out of the tribe maybe they're more likely to be eaten by predators like i don't know i'm just completely like I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, offend anyone here. I'm just kind of thinking off the cuff here. But you know, there <clears throat> there can definitely be very practical disadvantages to having. I mean, that's why we say like mental health issues, right? Like you're you're by definition saying like this is a kind of a negative thing, uh, and in in an evolutionary environment, in in a more kind of ancestral environment. I think that could, you know, definitely lead to uh, some sort of filtering going on mm-hmm. just naturally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not out of the, the question here. Again, I'm not trying to offend anyone or, or promote any sort of ideology. I'm not promoting eugenics or anything like that. But, but you know, in, in a natural environment, like, that, that could certainly happen. And when you don't have that in modern-day society, when you kind of you know, uh, when you talk about like safety nets in society, you're kind of propping up, um, you're propping up the baseline in a way that's unnatural and that does not contain the same filtering mechanisms that you would find in nature. Again, not promoting anything, not advocating. I'm just saying like, that's kind of, uh, I don't think you can really debate. That's the reality Mm. of the situation mm-hmm. um, you, how, the, how that how that plays into kind of mass shootings i don't know i mean that's it it's still such a small percentage of people committing this yes um i mean i i, I don't want to make any links here draw any links where there may not be any i think it's i think that the most there there is clearly something happening within our country and kind of the sociocultural dynamics of our country that makes this an event that is almost inherently American, right? Where you have these sorts of things happening on a one-off basis around the world. A lot of time, and I think actually in places like New Zealand or Norway, we can attribute this to kind of right-wing violence, right? Somebody who might radicalize on the internet 
and then choose to extract their vision of racial dynamics through perpetrating a mass act of violence, right? But something is, is, something is happening in this country that is unique to this country that is causing these things to happen consistently, right? Yeah, I mean, would you, would you say it's related to the level of community? Again, like, is it because of the, the form of capitalism that we have here, the, 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 maybe the less restrained form that's causing uh, the, the more individualized kind of situations in people's lives? So I, w- I wanted to bring up something that you actually mentioned off mic a couple days back. Um, with your your trip to Italy, mm-hmm. and you talked about sitting on a Friday night. Was it in Naples or? It was in uh, Bari. Um, excuse me. Uh, in Bari, you're sitting. It was like a Friday night, and w- what you you said it was just like everybody was out. Yeah, right? the whole town was out. Everyone's kind of rubbing shoulders. Like uh, every. every uh, it's almost like one big tribe and everyone's connected. And, you know, going back to the evolutionary thing real quick, you know, uh, I talked about maybe one side of it and maybe emphasized it almost too much. But the other side of it is when you do have kind of these uh, these tribes in the ancestral environment, um, everyone's got each other's back, generally mm-hmm. speaking. Right. And right. there's a strong bond. You don't let people slip through the cracks in the same way. I was kind of talking about Italy, how they have, they seem to have a much stronger sense of community. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, it kind of hits you. It's not something you even think about. Like you just see it and you experience it. Um, and I think that can prevent people from falling through the cracks. Uh, we were talking about safety nets earlier. Like, um, you know, we're not talking about a monetary safety net. We're talking about like a social, uh, like literally a social safety net that prevents people from being alienated and disenfranchised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if you're talking about what's unique to America, that has to be up there. I mean, there's no question in my, in my mind. I mean, it, it, it's just patently obvious when you visit other cultures, I think. Right. I could have a skewed sense because when you're visiting other cultures, you're in a kind of a, maybe a different state of mind. You're kind of, you know, you, your activities are different than they would be if you lived there. But, um, it feels like there's something there for sure. I mean, mass shootings in Italy, the, the Wikipedia page alone has five entries. Five entries. Five entries. And I I guarantee you two or three of them are tied to like the violence in the 50s and 60s between the communists and the nationalists. Or some mafia violence. Or some mafia violence, right? So, I mean, that could be a potential point of identification here, right? The sense of community that you're talking about. Maybe we're just lacking in it right now. And I think a lot of the men that perform these attacks, they tend to be individuals who are socially isolated right well let's 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 as a thought experiment like let's kind of place them in the ancestral environment you have a tribe of 50 people and one of them is like you know adam lanza right like place him in there what's the reaction of the would he even would he even get to that state where he's even contemplating like shooting anyone up or you know i don't know hacking someone with a rock or i mean let's say the rejection by the tribe so that that's I guess a, a direct parallel. Adam Lanza was quote unquote rejected by his peers, right? He had a hard time fitting in in school. Uh, he was made fun of. That would be interesting. Is there is there anthropological evidence of people that were, um, you know, evicted from their tribe and came back to like seek revenge? Surely there has to have been. I don't know whether, you know, there's going to be any recording of it. Like, especially if someone was, like, really successful and they took out the whole tribe. Like, there's probably no, going to be, like, no. a cave painting. <laughs> yeah, with the, with, with the blood. Yeah, with, um, yeah, there wouldn't be any record of it. That, that would be interesting to, to know. Or do uh, we have any observations in the animal kingdom, right? Like some baboons or something. That's interesting. 
I think typically they're at such a huge disadvantage that they don't come back. Like if I think of chimps, they probably die. Right. Yeah. Because they're such a social species in the same way. Yeah. Odds are they would just die. Um, but let's say they don't get kicked out. Would, I mean, I'm just trying to think there does, they would almost, I mean, let's, let's think about it this way. They would almost never form the desire to kind of like shoot everyone up in their village because that would actually lower their chances of survival. Mm -hmm. And in that setting, I mean, everything is kind of about survival. I mean, you're, you're only upset at someone or something because they lowered your chances of survival or mm -hmm. reproduction, right? You, maybe you don't have the luxury to, to think about, I don't know, anything else really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you have to say about that? I mean, chimpanzees terrify me in general. <laughs> um, but in terms of, I mean, I think, I think community rejection is a huge part of it. I think anybody that subscribes, first of all, to like a fringe ideological belief probably has a, like a sense of rejection by the community as a whole. But to kind of go deeper than that, I think to become psychologically unhinged enough to commit these acts of violence, you do have to feel a sense of alienation from your tribe, quote unquote, or, or you know, your, your community or your family. And we can, we can say it's easier to feel that sense of alienation because there's so many people, there's so many, maybe like smaller tribes and to kick someone out of your tribe, it, it, it does, it's not the same as, you know, uh, it, it would have been in the ancestral setting where that's a life or death decision. Right now it doesn't have the same gravity but the psychological implications are still severe. Right. Because if you've evolved for the, for, for that setting where getting kicked out of your tribe does imply a life or death situation. Yeah. Even though it's a mismatch, uh, in, in terms of like the reality of the situation, it might actually propel someone to react in a way that is maybe proportional to the perceived severity mm -hmm. or the subconsciously perceived severity even if in reality it doesn't carry the same weight. Right. But again, I mean, these sorts of circumstances still happen in different countries, right? Uh, you still have people that are social outcasts that are rejected by their peers. And yet, even in countries that have high rates of firearm ownership, you just don't have yeah, the but, same but, scale. But like we said, yeah, it, it, it's an issue of like scale and frequency, right? Like, they they have people like this, but they might have far fewer. Because their population is smaller. Their population is smaller. Or even if their population is large, the frequency of people being alienated is, again, much smaller than you would find in the U.S. Hence, the population to draw from for, for these mass shooters is, is you know, uh, it approaches, like, you know, statistically, like, negligent or uh, negligible um that that wasn't even a coherent graphically or <laughs> grammatically coherent so maybe we can scratch that last few sentences out of my mouth no we're gonna keep everything but you you know what i mean like statistically um it could just be a question of statistics um but it, it's, it's hard to get like these exact rates right like how are you going to do a study to determine okay this percentage of young men are, you know, kind of becoming disenfranchised in a particular society. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's an exceedingly difficult task. Uh, and we don't really have the tools in sociology or psychology to even probably, you know, in a reliable way, determine that. So yeah, hard to answer that. All right. What are we going to do now that we've dissected these issues and, and kind of why uh, we're seeing these incidents, especially in America? What are we going to do about it? Well, it seems that right now there's a lot of pieces of legislation floating around. And um, al almost entirely based on just gun laws. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, the gun law proposals, uh, raising the minimum age to purchase certain guns to 21. Where's the where's the proposal to abolish capitalism? I, I think um, the libs are working on that. The libs, that's right. The, libs. the liberal hive mind. So 
21 to, to, to purchase weapons. Expanding background checks to cover private sales. That's actually an important one, too, because a lot of the firearms used in some of these shootings were purchased from like a peer-to-peer -peer sale, which didn't doesn't have a stringent of a coverage point for, for background checks. That kind of seems like a no-brainer. Um, encouraging safe gun storage and punishing people well, who don't. Hold on. Just, uh, yeah, on that point, expanding... So expanding background checks to cover private sales. Yes. So this New York Times article, it says only four incidents would have been affected by that. Right. Which is a tiny amount, relatively speaking. Sure. But, yeah, no, go ahead. Maybe in yeah, I mean, all it, of these in conjunction. Right. Yeah. So um, encouraging safe gun storage, as I mentioned. Again, this is something that's done in places like Switzerland, Seems like a pretty natural no-brainer thing. You just have certain standards by which guns are stored at home. Uh, what about storing it in your uh, in the pocket of your jeans, pointing to your left nut while it's loaded and the safety's off? I mean, you've told me that's like a thing you do, but I think that comes down to personal preference at that point. Right nut, personally for me, but um, I like to take risks. Live dangerously. Banning the sale of large capacity magazines. So that one, I mean, what's the argument against that one? I would love to know. I guess it's going to take who needs the who needs a large capacity magazine? Well, I mean, the whole point of having a firearm is to, is to be part of a well-armed militia in case the U.S. government comes after you. All right, let's talk about this. I like this. I like this. Let's talk about this. So the Patriots <laughs> are going to stop. The U.S. military. I will. I, I agree. I see your point. I agree with your point. I have one word for you, though. Afghanistan. Bear with me. U.S. government, the U.S. military with all of its drones, all of its aircraft, its F-30 fucking fives was unable to effectively fight and deter the Taliban. Taliban did not have much sophisticated weaponry. Most of them had, like, Kalashnikovs from, from the previous era. Uh, so the argument that, you know, a militia could fend off the government, I imagine, isn't totally empty. I don't personally buy into those fantasies. I, I think it's, it, it's, it's LARPing more than anything. But, you know, there is a level of validity to, 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 to the notion that militias that are armed and trained and hiding out in the bushes somewhere could in theory be fighting off the u.s government any government excuse me but again i think that anybody who claims that they're buying guns because they want to fight the u.s government i mean i i don't buy it agreed it's, it's uh, insane actually so i suppose yeah banning the sale of large excuse whoa gross <clears throat> Large capacity magazines. No more carbonated water for you. Uh, spicy water, yeah. Um, next on the list, expanding red flag laws to remove guns from people in crisis. Devon, what's a red flag law? Um, when you flag someone for being potentially... Uh, socialist. <laughs> yeah, socialist. <laughs> no, I mean, if someone's expressing uh, the intent to, to harm someone or, or themselves, some people, yeah, if, if they're kind of giving clues... Uh, to their mental state, uh, the red flag laws would kind of permit, I guess, uh, they would permit uh, the government or law enforcement agencies from maybe seizing their weapons or is it perhaps even put them in uh, some sort of uh, confinement if it's bad enough? If it's yeah. bad enough, yeah. Something along those lines. Again, this seems like a fairly reasonable piece of policy. It's not immediately restricting gun ownership or it's just making it so that if somebody like the Culliban shooters are openly talking about perpetrating a mass act of violence. Yeah. And that's all well and good, but like looking at this New York times article, they kind of have a breakdown of, you know, how many of the mass shooting incidents, such a red flag law would impact. And it would impact quite a few because uh as we discussed earlier i think it was 46 percent of uh, in 46 percent of shootings an attacker expressed interest in harming others 
Now, some of the states actually have red flag laws, and so some of these incidents occurred in those states, and and this New York Times article actually does a great job of pointing that out. So I think there is a legitimate question of, like, how practical is it to enforce this? You know, if someone mentions mentions to you in an obscure setting about possibly harming someone, like, how much weight do you put on that? Are they expressing it to people that really know them? Or are they kind of just saying it to a random person that might not really know if they're being serious? Uh, are they saying it in an obscure online forum? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there there is a huge, like, practical issue of actually enforcing these. Because in theory, it sounds great. Hey, someone's giving us cues. Yeah, like, let's let's address this before it becomes a big problem. But... I mean, you know, Reddit would said straight up done. like narc on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they don't use Reddit too much. These people, maybe, uh, I don't know what they would use. Like 4chan or something. 4chan. Even 4chan's like, too, they go like way deep on like some of those different message boards. Um, banning assault weapons. This is an interesting one because I think this is the one that really feeds into kind of the collective uproar from maybe more pro-gun quote unquote blocks in this country. Where something about the assault weapon is like a symbolic of gun ownership, which again, strange, right? Because you don't use an assault weapon to hunt. You don't use an assault weapon to. What else do you do with a gun? You put it in your pocket. Put it in your load pocket, it. load it, point at your left nut. Um, but even the assault weapons we have, it's not like we can buy straight up like the guns used by the Marine Corps, right? They're highly toned down versions. And there is the notion of things like bump stocks that make a maybe modified commercial market assault rifle, like an AR-15, as effective as like a combat grade one. I don't know anything about guns. I'm just trying to sound legit combat grade, you know? Got them. You got me. Um, this is a tough one. Because I feel like this comes down to the Second Amendment right they have in this country, where, where the reason why people want to own weapons is for, I'm going to call it self-protection, right? I don't know how many people actually own guns with the intent to fight the U.S. government. But getting rid of the assault re- weapon would, would, I think that's the less pragmatic one out of all of these. Even though I think... Uh, I think they're used in what, 30%? 30%. Mm-hmm. 30% of, of these like mass shootings use some sort of assault rifle. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I don't know enough about the hunting side of this and like uh, how it can be justified right. for people in other settings. Right. Um, and I, I think this, is, this also gets into a really fascinating nature of maybe some of the geographic diversity of the United States, where I think exactly. gun ownership in a place like Iowa or Missouri is something completely different than from gun ownership in like Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. right? Because people who live out in very, very rural areas, you might not have a police precinct or department. No, that's, that's a very interesting point. No, no, no. That's, that, that's very interesting. If you could limit gun ownership... Or have more stringent laws in the particular states and make sure also when they cross the states that, you know, this is accounted for. Right. Uh, That could be like a nice compromise potentially where, hey, if you live in Wyoming and, you know, it's like there's, you know, the density is like three people per 100 miles. (laughs) I I, I don't know. (laughs) You know, like... If someone buys a gun, like, you know, they can only do so much damage in Wyoming, right? But it's also, I think there's probably more reasons to own a firearm in Wyoming than in, like, Philadelphia. Right. Because at that point, you know, not just... No, you have bears. I mean, you you have... Wildebeests. Yeah, you have wolves. Um, (laughs) They still have wolves in Wyoming? I don't know. I I don't know, maybe. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, you're right. You you would have way more reason to... uh, so, I mean, that's that's reason number one. But also, like, if you were to, you know, shoot anyone up, I mean, like, there's there's just, I mean, due to the population, um, also, there's probably less likely to have mental health issues 
or, or people with mental more likely or do you think more i don't, I don't know because that's talk about alienation isolation things that we brought up in our arguments initially but is it different when that is kind of the culture in such a environment where the alienation is not necessarily due to like a rejection but kind of <laughs> due to the environmental constraints i don't know i'm just i think we got to go on the road we got to go visit yeah. wyoming to, to tap into this further I think I've been there because Yellowstone is in Wyoming, right? Straddles some states. I think I've been there too. Yellowstone doesn't count. It's a national park. Nobody lives in a fucking national park. No. Um, but right. I mean, and this kind of gets to the greater point of, as with everything difficult in this country, I imagine it's most likely going to be left up to the states to decide. And that you know, I, th I think that that leads to the greater issue of like the fragmentation of like political decision making in this country anyways, where if you outsource everything to the states, that's kind of you're stepping back into the era of the Articles of Confederation. Right. But there are going to be differing views of, of gun ownership between Alabama and, and New York. Right. And. I think far more important is the ultimate question of, let's say all of the, right now, Democrats control executive, they control Congress from b b both houses of Congress. Is that, is that how you say it? Both houses? Yeah. Cool. Democrats run shit right now. Let's say they get all of this passed, which they probably won't. Do you think it would prevent mass shootings from happening? No, not all of them. I, I think it would make it harder. I think it would... Like, if I had a guess at, like, a percentage impact, you know... I would say, at best, you're probably looking at, I mean, this is completely just wild speculation, obviously, but maybe it would limit or reduce it by 20%, something like, like I, I think there's just way too many underlying issues, and that's kind of what I think the, the next subject that we want to touch, it's like, what societal changes do we need to make? to prevent these mental health issues in the first place. Because typically, like, people want to talk about, oh, what do we do with the mental health issues, right? They're like, H how do we, uh, you know, the, you suggest red flag laws or better background checks, whatever. Like, how do we address the mental health issue? How about we prevent the mental health issue from the beginning mm -hmm. so we don't have to? You know, because once someone gets there then you've got a serious problem already. And like, right. there's only so much you can do at that point. Right. Right. You know, your background check is only so effective. Right. So how do we as a society change to prevent these mental health issues to begin with? Um, I mean, we talked about how these mental health issues result from the, the strength or lack thereof of community in in america due to the alienation that these uh these men face um what can we do how, how can we have a less individualistic culture right like how how do you when when the underlying forces are so powerful right like when they're tied intrinsically tied to the economic model of the country of the most powerful country, the most economically powerful country in the world. Like that, how, how, how do you change that? That's monumental, right? Like you're gonna, you're not gonna do anything <laughs> when it comes to the economy, right? To well, prevent a few mass shootings. Like this is still, I, I, I'm not trying to like, I mean, look, they, they didn't, I'm not trying to, they, they, they could stomach a million plus deaths from the pandemic and they still Easily, change right. their ways. I mean, so this, this is, is nothing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in comparison, yeah, this is absolutely nothing, and uh, it would take a lot more to to even consider doing anything with the economic model. So, I, yeah. so what do you do, right? Like, is there anything we can actually do? If if, if it is, unless you think my assumption is incorrect, but I think it's tied to the economic model. Agree, hundred percent. I think what they're gonna do, and this is, I think this in itself is not a very likely scenario given how politics have played out, I think they're going to try to stick some Band-Aid solution on it. Maybe they will, you know, provide more stringent psychological evaluations, right? Maybe. 
even that I'm, I'm not honestly like if it didn't happen after sandy hook i don't think it's gonna it's happen. too wishy-washy it's not it's not reliable enough well, i mean it's no not... you, you could you could kind of again take some of the elements of the swiss model where if like the issuing authority has a mandate to conduct like, a psychological assessment of the candidate asking for a license to purchase a firearm there's some things you could do with that and maybe with like oh here i go the injection of like technology into it right maybe you could have like an ai algorithm scan the person has to promote like make their social media posts transparent i don't know something like that right maybe through the integration of tech and like psychotherapy and analysis you could weed out a percentage of individuals right but some people are also totally chill when they buy the firearms and they lose their marbles a couple of years later right i think that band-aid solutions are obviously not the complete answer but it could at least put us on a path to try to do something especially if there's no feasible way we could reform the way by which we do business and conduct our economic relationship right and i think that's probably the best we're going to get outside of like a complete rethinking and i mean to your point yes it's gonna be very hard to change this again million plus dead during the pandemic they didn't give a fuck right but eventually we're going to come to a point where how we exist as like an economic body is going to become too unsustainable right where we like completely pump every resource out of the ground or you know climate change becomes a far more like pressing thing i think there is going to be a day of reckoning when like okay this economic model doesn't work anymore it's destructive but mass shootings ain't it <laughs> it's gonna be something far more consequential right. unfortunately something that impacts the bottom line <laughs> yeah right school children they don't matter they don't give a shit about school children here and i i think ultimately speaking that is probably sort of a reinforcing factor for some of these things to come i think honestly like any person who is out there contemplating a mass shooting probably sees all of this that's happening as like validation it's like oh yeah nobody gives a shit nobody gives a shit about me nobody gives a shit about anybody else like therefore this like nihilistic conclusion i've come to and for anybody planning a mass shooting out there you know don't don't seriously don't don't like, go do something else like go take out a huge loan and go like travel yeah uh i mean if you want to I don't know, like, uh, go, go do UFC, some yes. MMA or something. Like, I don't know, do something else, man. That's plenty to do. I mean, that is kind don't of shoot like, people up. yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you kind of come to that conclusion in your life where this is all you can do, I mean, literally like take out a fucking loan. There's way more interesting to do. There, there's way more interesting things to do than shoot people. There's like, you just haven't thought about it enough. If, if like, that's what you want to yeah. do. Like there, there's way more interesting things to do. Like there's. You can start a if podcast. You, for someone who's completely lost all hope, whatever, like there's no way. Yeah, exactly. Start a podcast. Yeah. You could you could just take out twenty grand and then go on like a massive hedonistic You could do what the Tinder swindler did, right? You you could swindle Tinder users, yes. That's that, that's yeah. fun, right? Yeah. So a few questions, you know, kind of to think about or to discuss as we uh, approach uh, the end of the podcast. Torture as a deterrent <laughs> to fast shootings. So elaborate on that one. <laughs> if you, uh, if the punishment for a mass shooting was to say, like, tie your, I don't know, tie you to like the back of a truck and then I don't know, drive around on a rocky surface. And then I don't know, just you, you can imagine just a string of like incredibly torturous activities, but never kill them. Right. Like do it, choose activity. Maybe that wasn't a great example, but choose an activity that won't result in death. So they have to continue to suffer and they would suffer indefinitely. Uh, indefinitely as in for the rest of their lives but they would never be killed because you know what oftentimes these people like you know commit suicide or, or, or whatever that's the easy way out like don't let them commit suicide like torture the shit out of them i'm posing this to you as a question could that potentially be a deterrent especially if you like live broadcasted this 
Sort of like a, the modern day equivalent of like a public execution back in the day. <laughs> what was that Greek myth? It was, I think, uh, it was Prometheus, right? Where he stole the fire from, from the Greek gods and they strapped him to a rock and they had a crow fly by and like take a chunk out of his liver every day, but then his liver always grew back. Um, yeah, let's do that to, to do mass shooters. No, Levon, I, I don't think that's a fucking good idea. <laughs> I, I think that that probably wouldn't deter somebody. And also, I don't know, like, again, like we need to start pulling metrics up on this stuff, but I don't know how many of these people come out alive from a mass shooting. And I don't think like going in to like, save a bunch of school kids or i guess if you're a cop from uvalde you 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 wait but going in to prevent a a mass shooter you probably aren't going to be trying to take them alive right right that's that's the inherent issue with with mass shooters. and i don't think punishment is like no i don't think it's going to be a deterrent how about threatening to torture their family no because i think they probably hate their families too I think yeah, torture probably isn't 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 a good one. Sorry, I'm just reading the ISIS handbook right now. It's how's it going? Um, it's very well written. Are actually. you uh, sending an application in, or is it? <laughs> no. They don't take Armenians, do they? Just full disclosure to the FBI. This is a joke. Ha ha ha! I love America. Um. Also, I mean, I guess maybe a greater question, a greater conversation. Do you think? And this is probably the topic of another podcast. But do you think this country is even capable of doing something for kind of a collective good? Like, would we <laughs> willingly surrender any rights to ensure a certain collective good? Yeah, so you're, you're kind of alluding to, like, if we knew for sure, like, you know, restriction X is going to prevent, let's say, 50% of mass shootings. Would people still be willing to like if 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 God Himself came down and said, "Hey, enact this law. This will prevent fifty percent of mass shootings." Would people still want to? Would would they would they give up their right? No, fuck no. I don't think they would. No, they wouldn't. Which which really it begs the question like, what is the argument like? What you know is is it just mute? Is this whole debate about, like, gun laws and everything mute? Like, how about, you know, the side that wants to keep their guns just admit that they don't care? That they, I mean, not that they don't care, care, but, like, they, they value, they value their yeah. guns more than the, the living in a, in a society where this is a regular occurrence. Just admit it. Just say it. Because that's the reality. Because we, like we just said, you know, with this hypothetical example of God coming down <laughs> and, uh, and laying it down for us. What language would God be speaking? Is God American? Jeez, uh, man, I don't know. Aramaic, probably, right? He'd probably be like... Hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics. <laughs> he somehow speaks illustrations. Right. He speaks in cursive. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Do you think there's any utility to gun ownership? Is there any collective benefit... I don't know about collect- there's 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 individual benefit for uh you know if, if someone does live in a, an environment like like they live in Wyoming and they hunt or whatever I I mean I don't see any issue with like someone like that owning a gun like I don't mind that we live in a country where someone can have a gun in a in a setting that's appropriate but you're right, like in, in a more city situation, uh, in a more urban situation, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I think I, to me, it, it really seems unnecessary. And I think the, the amount of public good it would do to not have people with a bunch of guns in urban settings is probably worth the individual cost of not having one. I mean, we live in an urban area with a high rate of crime. And there's certainly been, you know, assaults that happen right on my block. And oftentimes, police aren't effective in their response. I mean, they don't have time to, to kind of address, like, petty crimes, things that aren't, like, immediately on their horizon of operation. Sure. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, w- I'm with you because this is now a different environment where there's already all these guns floating around. So, like it becomes an issue of game theory where, okay, if everyone else has guns, 
then yeah, you are better off by having a gun. So I completely understand. It it becomes a self perpetuating thing. Um, but if you were to start a society right from scratch, you know, I think like, okay, yeah, if someone lives in a, in a very rural setting, <laughs> I hate that word. I can't pronounce it at all. Yeah, rural. You're not, you're not a rural. rural, 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 rural. Sounds like Earl. Yeah. Rural. 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 Uh, if you live in such a setting, then yeah, I, I, I see no problems with having a gun. If you live in an urban setting, again, you're constructing a society from scratch. For me, that, that's probably best if people didn't have guns in such close quarters, right? Right. So, but, but, but obviously, this is not reality in the U.S. Like, there is a legitimate danger uh, in living in a setting where you're, like, one of the few that doesn't have a gun and there's high crime rates. I can't say anything to someone who wants to get a gun in that situation. Ah, pick up kung fu. Yeah, you can go register your your uh, your hands, your biceps, your feet, your feet. They can do a mental health check on you before they yeah, give you the license. Nah, dude, your bench is crazy. You got it. We got to amputate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you do. It's a. Uh, are people aren't going to give up their guns. I think that's that's politically suicidal. That's uh culturally impossible. So what is the solution? I think maybe changing how we think about gun ownership, right? Where well, when it comes to gun laws, right? I want to let, let me just clarify that point. I'll let you finish. When it comes to gun laws, like, what is there to do? I think there's, you know, yeah, we can enact a few. We can add some restrictions. But for the most part, like, if the underlying issues are these societal issues that are so tied to the economic model that we have, then, it, you know, it, it seems a bit hopeless. Um, but, yeah, you can go ahead. I mean, I, th I think that... We can all do a little bit to, to improve kind of our surroundings, right? To improve Recycle. Our, our communities. Recycle. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Recycle again. Man, that's why our communities are shit. <laughs> we can't think of a yeah. goddamn thing to do to help. Right. No, but I mean, everybody can do something to, to make the communities better, right? You can run for your school board. You can go to city council meetings. You can talk to your neighbors. You can organize your block. You can just volunteer at the soup kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Volunteer at the soup kitchen. Uh, go and fight for a free and independent Artsakh. You know, these things that, 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 um, <laughs> that, 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 that make our communities better. If anybody got that joke, email me. Or don't email him. Well, they don't even have my email, so it's not they possible. Our email. But our email. Actually, now you can tweet us. At radius underscore of. That's it. That's it? That's our handle. Radius underscore of? Radius underscore of. I like it. It's kind of. We can change it. Good. Good. Yeah, we'll have to change that. We might actually get a new uh, co-host too. Not get a new one. Replace. An existing one. Are you leaving? <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I'm not worried. I'll no. tell you later. Lawsuit. Okay. Uh, did we cover everything we wanted to? I think we got everything. Gun ownership as a privilege and not a right. Did we talk about that? We didn't really talk about it, no. So, that's, uh, that's your bullet point. You, you expand uh, on that. I think it's just kind of the mindset around gun ownership. I think... Thinking of it as a privilege, as you have to do certain things to, to, to maintain your right to own a weapon, right? The, the Swiss have a, a huge culture around education on firearm ownership, not just shooting it, but cleaning, maintaining, storing, storing safely. I, I think if you're going to choose to own a gun, there's a, set, set, there's a set series of expectations that one should follow. Part of it is also kind of talking to others about responsible gun ownership, right? I think that's maybe one of the best things that could be done is 
responsible gun owners need to make it evident what responsible gun ownership entails. That is, in fact, a privilege that if you fall short of certain things, it can be taken away, hopefully, with some laws in place and a little bit more legal backing. That also involves, you know, keeping your mental health in check and talking to others about improving mental health and, and things along those lines. Well said. All right. Any questions from the audience? Thank you to our two listeners from Moscow. Um, please keep downloading our episodes. Yeah, without the added re revenue that we received from your uh, viewership. Yes. I don't think we could uh, continue this That's incredibly right. expensive venture. Well, uh, I hope you uh, guys learned a thing or two about guns and mass shootings in this episode. Maybe a few stats that we stole from the New York Times. The liberal rag. The liberal rag. In this case, it was pretty good. That yeah, was a good article. Actually, no, a really, really interesting article. Respect. Respect to the New York a Times. NYT, respect that. Respect. respect. I'm reading this book, though, about, uh, it's called Overthrow. Uh, it's uh, how the American government overthrew a bunch of... Is it the Woodward book? Huh? Is it the Woodward? No. No, no. All these different governments from like Hawaii to, you know, like oh, the yeah. Cuban no, we, government we, we fucked Hawaii, to Nicaragua, yeah. Guatemala, Chile. Yeah, yeah, and so on. Well, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> but if yeah. only they own guns. No, it was, uh, I completely lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Um, damn, I had a really good point. Yeah, help me out here. What were we talking about before I mentioned the book? Republicans. Before that. Oh, you're reading Kinsing Kinsinger. Yes. Yeah. That's a good book. You, ha you read that? Yeah, it was my undergrad reading list. Ah, that's, that, that formed the... Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's... Your entire geopolitical... The one book I read, yeah. And with the shock doctrine, that, that was pretty good. Too. Yeah, anyway, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Maybe I'll remember uh, by the time the next episode rolls around. But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we will be back again soon with another episode of Radius of Reason podcast. Ciao.